He said, while I was in my room changing, you told me to write about what I learned from the experience with the police. I wasn't sure what to write because I wasn't sure how to live a life in a way that didn't give them a chance to shoot us out of the sky. It seems like just driving or walking into a house or doing your job or cutting a grapefruit was all it took to get shot out of the sky. And the biggest problem was the police weren't the only people doing the shooting. They were just the people allowed to walk around threatening us with guns in prison if they didn't like our style of flying. I loved our style of flying. What he was essentially saying that here I am, I'm 17 years old, and I'm just being me. And I kind of enjoy being me. But being me is not enough that can keep me from being harassed. I, I mean, it's like when the first experience, the first bad experience you have when, with, uh, with the police, when you're black, is is going to make you question everything about your roots, you know? And like, damn, why are they fucking with me? Or maybe not. I grew up in a small town, Winthrop, Massachusetts. It's, it's outside of Boston. It's not that small. When I was there, it was like 40,000 people in the town, but it it bordered Boston. So it wasn't like I was out in the country, but it was it was a, a place where people grew up in and stayed their whole life. And they knew me. My early experiences with the police were fine, but it wasn't until like I got to FAMU where police started fucking with you. And I thought Tallahassee was like, you know, I went to school in 99. I thought Tallahassee was stuck in like 1952. But it was more than that. It was just me being a conscious adult and noticing the world around me for what it was. Welcome to the Bros Bookshelf with your hosts, Lennon Givens and Walter Atkins. This week, we'll be rejoined by brothers Stephen Gilliam Jr. and Dr. Harvey Hinton III. We're continuing on part two on our series on TSA Layman's Heavy. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, followed by a glowing comment. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Contraction, this idea that, you know, these are life experiences that make you feel small, you know, it opens up, you know, he talking about shaking his head, sucking his teeth, rocking ice cube, nigga. He thinking he a G, but everywhere he go, he got to shrink to meet other people's expectations. You know, it starts off with him being benched. He's a G. He thought he's somebody from, from down south from the Mississippi. Now he up here at DeMatha High School in Maryland. Right. And, got a and his mama bench. looked at him and <laughs> she said, they can't fuck with us. They can't fuck with us. <laughs> your mama say that to you, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> your mama. Your mama say that to you. I felt, I felt that shit too, man. I felt that shit, man. I felt that shit down to the core, man. I think that was another example of his mother, like, infusing confidence in him. Like, baby, whatever they do, at the end of the day, just know they can't fuck with us. For real, for real. Not only was she infusing confidence in him, I think that she was probably going through some things herself because when the police officer had pulled him over, when she was like, I have a postdoctoral appointment at the University of Maryland at College Park. Right. We ain't up here. We ain't no fucking scrubs. They intimidated by us. They you know, it's funny because it's us. almost like, so like, we talk about how black women with Lynch syndrome try to 
teach their their males in particular to to be docile because they don't want to see us get hurt. But you see this fiery woman telling her son, you know, the coach is intimidated by you. They can't fuck with us. And then she has this encounter with the police where she telling him be still, but she go on this rave. I'm this, this, and the third. I'm postdoc. You're like, Ma, I told you, don't even know what nobody don't know what a postdoc is, Ma. You keep saying that shit like it's important. You about to get us all hurt. But, like, that's her, that's the fire in her still trying to not be coward in front of her son, man, knowing that he got to be shrinking everywhere he goes. So his mother had him when she was, like, 19. And I know that he was born, like, in the uh, the mid-1970s. So that would place his mother being born around, like, the mid-1950s. Emmett Till was murdered in Money, Mississippi in August 28, 1955. So during that time, I know her mother made sure that she knew about Emmett Till because that was the impetus for the civil rights movement. So in the South, people were on high alert what could happen to young Black men if they mess with white girls. And during this time, and at the same time, uh, during the Rodney King verdict, and then watching Rodney King get beat up, you know, he was dating this white girl named Abigail Abby Claremont. Claremont. I'm about to read this passage on him watching Rodney King and his thoughts, how he internalized the use of the word Hulk towards Rodney King. I did not know Rodney King, but I could tell by how he wiggled, rolled, and ran, he was not a Hulk. Hulks did not beg for mercy. Hoax did not shuffle from ass whoopings. Hoax had no memories, no mamas. I wonder what niggas and police were to a hoax. I would wonder if all 16-year-old Americans had a little hoax in them. I knew, or maybe I accepted for the first time, no matter what anyone did to me, I would never beg anyone for mercy. I will always recover. There was physically nothing anyone could do to me that can take my heart other than kill me. You, Grandma, and I had that same hulk in our chest. We will always recover. At some point during my beating, I just stopped fighting and let you hit me. I did not scream. I did not yell. I barely breathed. I took my shirt off without you telling me. I let you beat me across my back. It was the only beating in my life where watching you beat me as hard as you That's could wild, felt son. good. Like, wow. Right now, he opens up talking about his mama smacking the shit out of him with a patch <laughs> of you and shoe. Like, my yeah. mama never smacked me with no patch of you and yeah. shoes. My mama didn't beat on me like that. You know what I'm saying? His mama beat on him. And, like, he talking about how he got rough and tough and, like, he couldn't mm-hmm. feel it no more. So, like... He he's coming through that age in his mind and his well, he's understanding he's the master of his body. Mama, you can't hurt me. But yo, she smacked him in the face <laughs> with a sneaker, bro. Hey, you gotta be and real. He's just contemplating like somebody in I the face with a sneaker, this? though, you know. You know, he like he like yeah. I'm nine inches taller, <laughs> 40 pounds heavier than you. He flexing. <laughs> I'm not bitching all the 40 pounds. Hey, but, hey, but, hey, but, hey, but on, the, on the real, though, I think like we all, I mean, I know I got whippings growing up. 
I think we all got to that that point where we was like, you know what, these ass whoopers ain't hurting no more, you know. And at that particular time, I got I know I got to that, that point, point that man. I got to that point me. when right. I was around like fourteen, about fourteen years old, and my mom and my pops had to realize that you know hell these hits to the backside not hurt them anymore, you know. And that's when the the punches to the chest started coming. <laughs> Yikes! It was real though. No, man, I just felt like Damn. if I was yeah. getting my grades, man, get my grades, get that my mean, money, mind my damn business, bro. Like I'm done. Like that's how I was on. I was on. I was on that kind of shit. Get my grades, get my money, play sports, right. mind my business. Got my car. I'm in the house before midnight. I done done all you my had, dirt. You, you had money at all in my high dirt. school. I'm in the house before. I don't want to hear you it. Had high money school. in high school. I had no money in yeah. high school. I had money. In high what school. were you doing? I ain't talking like stupid money. Like I had a little part time job. Might have paid me eighty nine dollars oh. every two weeks. Hey, that's balling back then. That that was enough, you know. I asked Abby Claremont if she thought we should stop seeing each other since our relationship was making people in both our families extremely sad. I'm not talking about extreme sadness, she said. I'm talking about fucking depression. Yo, so that goes to show you how ignorant he is to depression. I was ignorant to depression. Like, real talk, when I was like 13, 14 years old, I guess I was going through my own hulkish phase around the same time period. We probably can place it around the same time period because Buddy's a little older than I am. And I remember my dad always saying to me, I need to smile more. And like he would ask me straight up, was I depressed? And I remember these weird commercials that would come on, be like a black and white commercial, a white boy sitting in the middle of the damn screen. (laughs) 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 Motherfucker be pouting. (laughs) <laughs> and it'd be like 1-800 are you depressed you know, call this hotline talk to somebody you know <laughs> but you know <laughs> okay okay now did you look up depression at that time or do you did you already know what it was how did you know what that I think, was I think I began to understand then that um, that's not what we wanted to be right I didn't want to be depressed I knew that much, right? I, like, now nah, I don't want to okay. be that, you know. Now, that's not that's not it. That's not what I feel. I don't know what that is. I don't know how he feels, but that's not how I feel. <laughs> so, you know. But I think I think um, different people have different experiences, right. and, and man. Like, and I think like that, during that age, like when when Abby Claremont is like, "Oh, you're not depressed." Like, do you think that you can fully grasp in that age, Harv? Like how depressed? Like what it? the depth of depression is, you know what I mean? Like something you're, yeah, you're a child, right? Saying. So you're, I mean, you're used to being a no, child, so you're up so. and down and you can be sad. Mm-hmm. But like, for me, it took a long time to understand what depression is. I don't even know if I still do. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm on that same, uh, same side of the fence as uh, Steve as well. Like as far as like me understanding what depression was, I didn't understand what depression was until I was like off into college. So what is depression? Walt? Man, like I can I can't give you a definite I, I can give you my understanding of what depression is. I would say depression is when you're at a state, a mental state, when you are like down and out and you don't see no ends to a means of getting out of the situation. 
So whatever the situation may be, whether that's a financial situation, whether that's a situation with your um, your girlfriend or your your wife or husband, you don't see no ends to that situation and you're just in a deep funk. And it's going to take you some time to get out of it, but you don't want to go through the process to get out of the situation. I remember being in eighth grade fighting in schools. Like we haven't, we have some little brawls in schools. I wasn't no big time brawler, don't get me wrong, but it was a lot of fights happening. In a lot of these cases, I was breaking up fights, but I knew what was going on. Like I, people was getting beat up. And I remember that notion of feeling like, damn, when I'm walking down the street, I got to be on the lookout. Somebody might come out and jump me, you know? So I think it's like that notion when you live in the hood or you like, you know, let me be looking out for that dog. It's a, it's a rock wall around there. He's going to come out and I don't want to get bit. Like when you live in these areas that are really, really violent and traumatic and you got to be on the lookout, I think that puts you on more alert in addition to all the historical traumas that are passed down through your DNA. And see, so we we talked about last week about not having feelings and shit. We were dehumanized. And so, you know, a feeling of depression we would, that wasn't even, you know, an opportunity for us to talk about having a mental illness, you know, to accept, you know what I'm saying? Like, you got to think about what it meant to be a, a slave, right? And accepting that reality. And it's like, okay, what are my options? I can fight and fight to what to what end? I can accept this shit, hoping something's going to change. I can run away and who's going to save me? Like, we all deal with that. And it, that's a fight that does not end, you know? And so... I think it's beautiful that today we can seek treatment. I think it's okay to know that it's okay. I think it's insane to think that you're not. Duh, that's black life, man. We we dance it, we butter it up so good, we forget yep. that's what we that's do. That's black life. Day. And and then so he's dating he's dating uh the white girl that only dates black dudes. Right. Let's talk about that as well too. She, Let's talk about that. She getting a kick out of it. Right. Well, so so he's he's uh saying, hey, we shouldn't date because it's it's making our family sad. And she says, nigga, you don't know about depression? Oh, you must be stupid. And in reality, he's living within depression, right? Like his mom's clearly right. depressed because uh, she's a post-doctor right. person who has, got, who has to like broadcast that everywhere, beating him up for no reason all the time. Right, smacking him and, in the face. And he's depressed because he's overeating, yeah, being destructive to himself. And so they're living in depression and they're so in it that they don't even, you know, they don't even they know. Don't it's even like, know. how do you describe water to a fish? They don't even know. Yeah. And the white girl's looking at him like, oh, this nigga don't know nothing. I think his mom was right about Abby Claremont the entire time, though, you know? Exactly. He was yeah. he was coming of age. His mama was right. But, I mean, it's it's high school, man. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, his mom was right. Like, no one knows anything. It's like, we're just right. doing the best we can. And that's so. why you have parents. To guide you throughout the way. But his mama was right. But on top of that, I mean, hell, everybody knows on this podcast that when you first got your first piece of action, I would call it sexual activity, your nose was wide open. Your nose was wide open with whoever that girl was. That was your first time. Can drive a truck through it. It was your first time in your life being able to uh, share a sexual experience with uh, a female. So whatever she was saying, as long as she was... um. Yeah, whatever she was saying, you was pretty much doing. The next day on April 29, 1992, the night of Rodney King verdict, you held me in your lap and would not stop rocking for two hours straight. We watched L.A. burn as cameras show a white man 
pulled from a truck getting beat up by black and brown men in the L.A. intersection. I hope you see what they're not showing, you said. I want you to write an essay about what white folks feel tonight. I know they're blaming us. I don't understand why she wanted him to write about what white folks felt when there was a black person that was wronged in this situation. I think she should have had him write about what black folks felt or how he felt in the situation. Or does he feel that the black folks action are, are justified by them going about riding in L.A., you know? Or just like not watch that shit for two hours straight. Right. <laughs> like, like, why is that on TV for two hours? Like, why do you got to get all riled up and. And like you need to know what's going on, obviously. Obviously, yeah, it's but a it's story. but but Steve, to 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 their defense, I mean, it's nineteen ninety two. You only got a certain amount of channels you can watch. You only got a thousand channels like you got today. You know, nigga, read a so, book. And also, she, huh? Read a book. Yeah, read a book. But she all like she's a revolutionary, you know. So she always wanted to put him in a position to to be able to know what the fuck is going on. Like, yeah, no, I I feel that I feel that. But like, you uh, know, it's funny though because it's like, yeah, go ahead. In one space, sometimes, sometimes you can be like connected to all of those events, but then the other side of what what you could be saying is like when you're just completely not connected. So you know you watch it on TV, like damn that nigga in his ass beat, damn, and that's it. Then you go right back to life, like playing basketball, chewing bubble gum, whatever it was you're doing, because you don't you don't internalize it, and to some degree that's kind of sort of healthy. Like I remember working with some kids, bro, when Trayvon got shot. And they didn't give a shit about it, you know. And in their minds, you know, another black kid got shot. Oh well, it wasn't me. I don't want to hear this every day, coach. And so we talk about mental health and what what does it mean to be guarded, bro? Many different people take on many different defense mechanisms, different coping mechanisms, in the name of resilience because they want to keep going. So I don't know, man. And, and that shit makes you feel powerless because, like, you know, absolutely. Uh, a few years ago, every time a black person got shot, it was all over the news. Black people didn't stop getting shot, but they just stopped putting it on the news. And then it like, Absolutely. you know, your subconscious is like, oh, like suddenly this is not important or what? Like, you don't really know right. what to do with it. So you just feel like, oh, I guess I, I can't. Who's safe again? Yeah. Like, I can't do anything about it. I'm just subject right. to all this other stuff in the world. I have no agency over my life. Right. Like, it, none of this shit matters. That's true. I took the tape home and just as I had with tapes I dug from Lathan. I put the tape in the little radio next to my bed. Kiss Lemon. The tape began. Ever since Coach Sisler learned I was in a relationship with Abby Claremont, he <laughs> said my name like it was some scraggly French dude he paid to cut his yard. Kiss, he said again. I want to say first, you need to watch your weight. If you want to pay ball in college, you're getting close to 240, and there's no way you can play even Division Three <laughs> ball at that weight. You're a shooting guard on the next level, not a power forward. All right, pause for a second. Pause. All right, man. Let's let's uh, let's let's uh, digest that for a second. I think his coach, man, his coach was always giving him like ad- advice, like backhanded advice. He would, in one sentence, he would degrade Keese, and then in the next sentence, he would tell him like something that he actually needs to do. Like, dog, if you don't lose weight, your ass is not going to be on the next level playing a high-level bas- high basketball. So he was telling him real stuff, but the and the way he was doing it wasn't real, like, receptive to I mean, to it's hard, man. It's hard to separate it sometimes, the message from the messenger, you know? 
the problem with this paper is it relies on faulty logic. I can hear him flipping the pages. Faulty logic on page three. <laughs> faulty logic on page four. The paper is just a mess of faulty logic. I can see the glimpse of your argumentative mind, but you undermined it with faulty logic. Maybe you should get your mommy to help you with papers for class like she does with your newspaper editorial. Dog, my middle school coach, who I love, one of the best coaches ever, called me Big Red Dummy every day, all day. <laughs> That's all I'm now, saying. Did he do that out of love because he knew you or he he did that and, it was, I was, I, and you was visibly disturbed by it? Hey, I was one of those kids that they would say, I guess, had book sense and no common sense. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know he would call me that on a regular big red dummy you know yeah and um I, I i wasn't i wasn't hurt my father had done worse and even when he did you know it was i saw what it i i've never internalized it as someone was trying to hurt me wow i've never i've never been in that situation you know where i felt someone was trying to hurt me i do understand the relationship between your coach is like a father relationship and you want to please your coach. And I remember having my first white coach for real, you know, in college. And it was, it was, it was different. It was different, you know, um, you know, wanting to be what Rambo wanted. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had a little coach. We, we called our coach Adolph, man. He was a good dude though, man. Top you know, really good dude. <laughs> we called him, we called him Adolph. <laughs> 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 and then you get all and then you get all the first thing you hear is him making fun of your name like oh yeah coach hey, you you about to get it Lemon. <laughs> like you as an, adult, <laughs> as an adult you need to know that if you keep pushing this dude he's about, he about to choke you out uh, or not <laughs> or not Lemon. or not yeah, or not right. you, you, you never know how big the coach actually was though you know he could have been the big dude himself I think his coach had a lot of issues with uh, Kiese's focus more so than anything else. Because as you, that too, he's, exactly. Well, I, well, I think you you spot on with yeah, that too. <laughs> you spot on with that. Uh, trying to catch a nut. That's what his coach said. <laughs> trying to catch trying a nut. Catch a nut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talking like a coach would talk yeah. to trying a boy. To catch a nut. That's, but that's real talk, man. That's that's real talk. That's like that's real talk that you you may can't get from your uncles. You may can't get from. Uh, he can't get from his mother's, you know, so he doesn't know how to accept the uh, the real talk that right. he's getting from his coach. So maybe that's maybe one of the reasons that he's I think his reacting the way that he's reacting. Like, man, who the hell? I think the coach is whack, and I think the coach. I think all the adults so far in KSS life, they're all damaged, and they're all passing that on to him. Right? Hit the coach's analysis is that KSA just like it needs a dad, uh, thinks he's in love has faulty logic, and is relying too much on his mama. So what does the coach do? Attack him at every turn. Is that is that faulty logic? Like It sounds like faulty logic to me. And it sounds like he got what he deserved. But it's like the pattern that, you know, KSA is writing about is just like damaged adults damaging children over and over and over again. And it's just, you know, it's great writing. And it is a great story, but it's also a sad story because that's what we're talking about 
when when Harvey's talking about the trauma passed down in our DNA, right? It's like the generational trauma just keeps going going back and forth uh, or keeps recycling itself over and over again. So let me ask you this then, from a personal uh, standpoint, how would you really respond if your coach treated you like that in that same situation? Oh, when I was a kid, I was just like, no, I was I was whatever, man. And I mean, I'm still like that now. It's like, okay, thank you. Thanks for your feedback. Don't care. <laughs> like, I would have just been like, whatever. And it would have just made me shut down and shut that person out. Okay, with a personality like yours, then, what would connect with somebody like you? Well, I mean, I think I think what Kiese is trying to say and what, you know, what would connect with me is love, right? Like, you got to come at that person with love. If if I turn on a cassette and I hear my uh, my coach and, and my teacher immediately make fun of me in a way that I feel like is, is over the line, and then he continues to like belittle me and then tell me to go ask my mommy for help. You know, that's not going to work for me at all. I like, I, I think the coach, if he was a healed person, right? Like right. hurt people, hurt people. And, and what KSA says, like America is a bunch of violent people giving their right. violence to other, other folks. Like this is, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say this because it, it kind of belittles like physical violence, but like this is a form of violence that people put on each other, right? Like in in a lot of ways. Right. Classrooms are very volatile spaces, man. And and you wanna say and I and I agree with that, because there are some lines you don't know that you whatever. I had a girl throw a bottle of lip gloss at me, a glass jar of lip and gloss. And what did you say? She How wanted did, to go I, to the restaurant. What was the exact words, Harvey? I told her no. I I told her no. I was like, no, nah, you can't go to the restroom. Like, she kept trying to go to the restroom, and I'm standing by the door. As I'm standing by the door, why, why she can't go to the restroom, Harvey? She, she, she's a young yeah. adult. Because this was a middle school, and, like, that was part of, like, his rules, like that sit still thing that y'all was talking about earlier. Like, it wanted kids to learn how to sit still. And so, like, now check this out. Her 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 peoples came to school and told me that I was wrong for not letting the young lady get up because the young lady had issues she need to go to the restroom for. Well, the question is, were you notified that prior to her being in your classroom? Nah, nah, nah. I wasn't notified of that. But we're talking about a young lady, you know, she coming on her cycle and needs to go to the restroom. I don't know that. She doesn't she doesn't know how to tell me that. I don't know that I even want to hear that. I don't right. I'm not even thinking about that at the time. All I know is I'm there, black man, supposed to be there to help y'all out and say the day. And I told you to sit down and do your work. And next thing I know, here comes a thing, a lip gloss at me. I don't even react. I tell her people's like, yo, she threw the lip gloss at me. And you didn't realize in any other school she can get arrested for that, blah, blah, blah. I just want you to talk to her because, you know, that's not cool. And they're looking at me saying, well, you do know young girls need to go to the restroom, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, so it's my fault that she threw lip gloss Mm -hmm. at me? Okay, I get it. Question. I get it. After, question, after you you did the Matrix Mm -hmm. and avoided the lip gloss, did she go to the bathroom? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not listen, I'm not standing in front of them. I'm not doing all of that. That's not gonna be me. <laughs> I'm not taking these bullets. I'm not taking these bullets. Hey, oh, yeah. hey. 
Hey, Harvard was yeah, like, oh, she's she serious. She really serious. gotta go because before then, I thought she was playing. <laughs> she walked. She walked out the door, and he was like, "Oh, you forgot the pass. Come get the hall pass." Because according to that workshop that we had to go to, right. black children just be right. wanting to get up and go right. and randomly right. want to go to the bathroom. Nah, nah, we gotta nah, tell nah. them you better no. listen to these motherfuckers. When they say they gotta go, they gotta go. Jack, get the hell out of the way. Right. Trust me, bro. Yeah, they go. No. I advocated for that, bro. That's, that's me. You know? <laughs> like, I'm out here on the front lines touching lip gloss, makeups, everything. Y'all need to let them go to the bathroom. Later that summer, I saw Lathan before he left for the University of Alabama. We will always be friends, but we stopped taking care of each other when I started seeing Abigail Claremont. Lathan told me he got into some trouble at Freaknik and needed Malachi Hunter to connect him with a lawyer who could help me get his case thrown out before his school heard about it. I told him I really didn't talk to Malachi Hunter at all anymore, and even if I did, Malachi Hunter might have been in some legal trouble of his own. You the only one of us ain't got caught up with the police, he said, and you the crazy one of us all. I ain't crazy like that, bruh, he said, and looked at me without blinking. All right, so I, I think, like, we we all went to college, right? So we all have, like, from from our respective hometowns or whatnot, and we go off to school, and we all have other homeboys that we went to high school with, and they go off to college as well, too, right? I think we all have been through the same kind of similar situation. Like, what, what they, they're basically saying that, you know, bruh, hell, you at your school, I'm at my school, you're going through your differences, I'm going through my differences. Um, and then just basically like keep that black abundance going on. Like, bro, you always gonna be from the crib, keep that black abundance going on. I think it's funny that Lathan got in trouble at the freak nick though. I wonder what in the hell was Lathan doing at the freak <laughs> <laughs> Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then also like the type of lawyer, what, what type of lawyer can Malachi Hunter get you? A lawyer that can get you off and get that <laughs> shit swept under the rug. <laughs> well, I got that feeling that Lathan was kind of checking him, kind of like TSA was almost like not giving up the plug. And he like, nigga, get, you acting like you can't do some shit now? Like, you ain't the one. Like, that's, I hate to see that conflict, but I think that's, I think that's what it was speaking to as well. He was kind of blocking on Malachi's info. He was like, Nigga, just give me the number, man. <laughs> I was told by my roommate in college. He didn't say he didn't say exactly what Lathan said, but almost exactly. He said, "Lenny, you the greenest dude I know, but you've been arrested more than anybody." So it's the I exact know. opposite of what. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. so, <laughs> my whole tenure in college, y'all, I did not have a valid driver's license. I was driving around the whole time with suspended wow. driver's license. Why? Wow. Because I had so many tickets and they kept coming in the mail, but I kept moving. I wasn't getting that. But once I found out my license was suspended for five years for reckless driving, once I got my, my mind set up on a goal, nothing's going to stop me. And that means Johnny Law himself. What? <laughs> yeah, so every time I got pulled over, I went to jail. <sighs> When he first went to Millsap, he was dealing with a, a bunch of like 
black excellent uh, BS. And when I say that, I mean like because of the fact that one of his professors was like uh, they they blamed him for plagiarism. And I think he even went to the point of saying that how you blame me for plagiarism and I don't even use a thesaurus for writing any uh any essays. Which is crazy, you know. And even in his dorm, he got ID'd a couple times in his dorm. So he was kind of like getting fucked with a lot by the uh staff at the at the college. The dichotomy between going to a black college versus a PWI and the things that I keep hearing that people are dealing with at a PWI versus a HBCU. I don't know why he chose to go to school up in the heart of Jackson, Mississippi, versus going to a school that's in Mississippi that would accept him and some of the things that he dealt with versus some of the things that he didn't have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think like Walt said, it's like that uh, that black excellence thing. Like, white people don't care about your black excellence. Uh, but I don't know, man. I went to FAMU. Like, I don't know. I didn't go to any white schools just because I wanted to be around black people because in Hawaii, everybody's mixed. And I, I didn't grow up around black people. I grew up playing sports around black people. But I realized that that was different than, than growing around, you know, growing up in a black neighborhood and having black people everywhere. I lived in a white town that was mostly white and I was one of the few black kids in every space that I went. And so I just wanted to go to FAMU and be be around my people. And I'm glad I did. It was it was dope. But I didn't but I also didn't have this thing, right? Like I think it I think it spared me from this thing where it's like you have to prove to white people. Like I keep going back to what Walt said about this black excellence. I know a lot of people that went to FAM that are just hashtagging my Instagram up with black excellence. And I'm like, yo, what's black excellence? How's that different from excellence? Why are we doing this? Are we still doing this? Like, are we still celebrating the first black person to be validated by white corporate America in this position? Who cares about that shit? Like, not me. You're saying that why are you trying to overinflate your achievements or over inflate. I, I think that people need to ask themselves why they do that and why they strive to be that because right. I don't think it can be fulfilling if if you know for me, I don't know, it doesn't seem fulfilling to to live my life so that someone else says I'm great. And meanwhile the whole time I'm growing up, I'm celebrating how I'm different from that someone else. Damn. But then at the end of Talk the day I'll that. just be like, oh, what do you think about my work? How do you think about my yep. uh, resume? <laughs> like, that's weird to me. Man, I'm listening to Steve talking about this transition. <laughs> um, and it's it's interesting. Um, I kind of can relate to KSA. I, you know, I'm, I'm from Durham, like I told y'all, but I wanted to go to Duke. And I had opportunities to, to go to other white schools, but I chose a t Now, going to Duke was about making a statement. It was about saying I'm a black kid from Durham who went to Duke and played ball. I thought Duke was shitty, and I thought that I was dope, and I thought that I would be able to go there and ball out, go to the NFL. You know, I thought that, yeah, I thought I was good enough to really start at Duke, and um, I didn't. I didn't even get a shot. Um, You know, they didn't even offer me a scholarship. They told me my SAT score was too low, and I, um, you know, I didn't apply myself. I had a 970 in the 10th grade. That was high enough. I was good. 
So, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't apply myself, but nonetheless, I understand there's a freedom to be in white spaces. Like you go to a white private school, there is a freedom there that doesn't exist. So I can see why it benefited him to be there as opposed to being at Jackson state. You know, I, I would, I would have loved to know him at Jackson state and what it would have meant for him to go to Jackson state. But I get why the white school for certain black kids can be liberating. You know, um, I taught at Wabash college. Wabash college has a Malcolm X Institute. What I mean by that is they have a building with Malcolm X's name on it, Malcolm X Institute, and the building is a library dedicated to black culture. That doesn't exist at North Carolina Central University. No diss. You know what I'm saying? And as black as you can say HBCU is supposed to be, without an intentional study of culture, you still got a question what's taking place. Uh, FAMU does have a black psychology program. I don't know how infused it is with the rest of the school but you know even with that it's still you know a challenge sometimes to see people from a different orientation if everybody's used to seeing this other presentation so you know for him to be able to go there um and navigate the space the way he did i think he would have had the same kind of problems at a black college you know i think it's i think I, i don't i don't know necessarily that he just would have been cool at a black college. Bruh. We had dudes and that's fine. dope out the dorm rooms and no one batted an eye at a black college. He would not have gotten kicked out for stealing a library. Book. No, 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 no. He wouldn't have. And, he wouldn't and, have. and not to get it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Okay, what I'm okay. talking about. Aside from that, though. But like. Dog, I went to A&T, dog. First of all, come on there, bro. And, but, you know, that's, so that ain't, that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about as a student. There were people, so nobody got kicked out of FAMU. Dog, we got, we had people got kicked out of right, A&T, right. dog. But like, like you're going to get right, kicked but out. But like, there's a, there's like a, a large argument about the worth of college even nowadays, right? Like, uh, are we really learning or are we just, I think it's a beautiful just, experience. I think it's a beautiful right, experience. Okay, it's an experience. I think it's a safe experience. Uh, I disagree. I think it's safe. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to go through that turmoil of learning responsibility, learning boundaries, learning learning hierarchy, learning how to treat exactly. people. And I think college provides a safe space to do that. I hate that you have to go in debt right. financially to you, have you that have experience. to learn about you have to learn about compliance and hierarchy and how to balance your your uh your analysis of the world in a way that doesn't offend the hierarchy all while getting into immeasurable debt. Like that's a that's a huge issue. That's not. Hey, but wasn't that's he on scholarship? Not, yeah, that's the part about it, man. I hate that. I hate that you have to go into debt. You know, I don't know what kind of debt he incurred. He might have. He might have didn't have to pay for that school. I thought he, I thought he was on a scholarship at Millsap. He said. He said um, before he uh, graduated high school, he was able to, even though he had low grades, uh, then go to graduation. He was able to still obtain a scholarship to Millsap. I feel like he blew it. Like I feel like he went there and he blew it for some reason, man. Like. So he had a scholarship. So the reason he was even there because of him excelling in sports and being able to be one of the privileged black kids to go to this white institute, the right. PWI, to be able to help. And he could write as well, too, but also be able to help right. the uh, basketball team win games. But but he couldn't write. 
No, he could write, but let's let's not get the reason why he, he was could even. write. Like winning, winning oratory, winning literature competitions, and getting grades in schools are two different things. You know, so he can he can win a contest. He can he can he can hold down an opinions piece in a in a in a newspaper. So he can win an award for that. But being in school dealing with teachers and shit, that's a different right. that's a different so, vibe. I guess my point But is, he didn't get kicked out because he wasn't dealing with teachers though. No, he got he kicked didn't. out because he pissed off the the institution no. and the it, institution no. mobilized right. itself against him. Right. Like that's fucked up. And he pissed off the people who give the endowments to the school. They had to try to find a way to get him right. out of there. Think about it, Harvey. He got kicked out because he took a well, book I mean, from the I, library without checking it out, and then he bought that book back. So they was trying. I mean, they, I, so that I means get, that they was watching him and trying to find a legit way without getting sued to kick him out of school. Listen, man, I seen kids lose their scholarships for nothing other than they was late to a warm, a, a, a warm up. No, so you're talking about. Right, so uh, Harvey, you're talking about sports. I'm talking about real life. This is what I'm trying to say, Harvey. I'm trying to say that. Do you think that he would have had a similar experience had he gone to an HBCU? Not, not for a, not for a library book. No, no, no. But the way he described his experience at Millsap was that he was so radical. And he felt that, and that was a time where he never he never had experience with white culture. The only time he had experience with the white culture is that little short time that he went to St. Richard's for eighth grade, right? So he gets there with 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 an right. unfamiliarity with white people, and now he's trying to adjust. And he's there at the same time while he's trying to right. adjust being away from home, trying to adjust being independent trying to adjust, making good grades. He's also trying to adjust to white people's microaggressions, right? And it's hard right. for him to adjust right. to their microaggressions. So he, what he does is Damn he goes back to what he normally does is he starts to cut his nose to spite his face. He starts saying that I'm not going to ask questions right. in class. I'm not going to get the full experience. Right. And then I'm going to write these damn papers and I'm going to tell these white folks about themselves. And and I hope that they read these papers and I right. hope that they like my my writings. And I hope that they take these papers just based right. on this paper and change uh, 20 years of a way that they view in the world and how they've been <laughs> treating other people. He was too right. young and too naive right. to think that that shit was going to happen. And essentially that came and bit him in the ass. At a black college, he wouldn't have to worry about those right. microaggressions that caused him to write those papers and act so <laughs> radical. You know what he could do at a black college? He could just worry about learning. He could worry about his financial aid. He could worry about the things that everybody else around him is worrying about. Because at the other school, he was so... He was even ashamed uh, of is, how much money he made. Uh, uh, I, I love, I love it, absolutely love the HBCU narrative. But I guarantee you there is a black kid right now that is not fitting in at FAMU. Good. But guess what? That's one out of 
It doesn't matter. 20. To the point, and when people get jammed up, most of the time, you don't get jammed up for ideas. You get jammed up for breaking a rule. And so they always jam you up on the smallest dumbass thing. So the fact that he gets kicked out for the book, the book is small. The book ain't, the book is what they're going to use. So I don't want to, I, I mean, yeah, he's at a white school and we can make it about race because it's always going to be about race. I'm not saying it's not about that. But now nah, you just can't assume that at a black school. No, nah, man, it's black kids get kicked out for being queer. It's, it's black kids they, who, who, who overexpress themselves every year at black schools who don't conform to this notion of preparing you for the workforce, preparing you to go out and be a leader and articulate blah, 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 whatever, you know, key performance indicator the school has established. So that shit happens at every school, dog. Don't say that. Don't, don't miss that. You know what I'm saying? And and some school, unfortunately, I mean, I'm HBCU all day, but I went to Purdue, and that same script that you just described, that was me in grad school trying to write racism through my master's program, thinking that white people give a shit about the shit I was writing. <laughs> Arvin, what's your, what, what schools did you go to? I mean, I went to A&T for undergrad, North Carolina A&T for undergrad, and then for grad school, I was at Purdue. So in my master's, I was um, career and technical education, and my PhD is curriculum studies. So I was on some Booker T. Washington, Du Bois, you know, how to how to do education to uplift black people fighting racism, and just really understanding that racism is it's it's, it's the it's a norm for white people, dog. Like it ain't even what we think it is a lot of times. It's it's just a normal reality for them. And um, but anyway. Yeah, I've been down that road, dog. So I just don't want to miss that. I think, I think he was gonna. He's the type of kid that was gonna experience that because he, his mama taught him how to be a rattle. I agree. He was mimicking his mama. I agree with that. He didn't know how to keep his mouth shut. Saying, you no. know what I'm saying? I, you know, it's all of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. He and, keep and, his and mouth like shut. I said, That's he wasn't cool. humble and he didn't saying. listen to advice. But you know what? The um, the thing about it was that he didn't have a lot of self awareness. And he was confused on how to deal with his emotions. So much so, like I said, everybody saw who he was. So when he was having his relationship with Enzola, his girlfriend did what a lot of girls do. You know how you dating somebody and they always kind of like throw things out there to see where you are. And they throw they, they put you through these little tests. So she tested him and she was like, hey, my boyfriend, James, the one that's the doctor I was telling you about, he wants to see me for Christmas. She just threw that out there to see how he was going to handle that. And because he was inexperienced and still trying to learn relationships, he acted nonchalant about it. And she didn't like his response. So she was like, oh, okay, cool. The question is, so, though, um, how, how does he supposed so to I'm respond be, to that? You know? like she, I mean, he's supposed to say, damn, baby, or, or, or be honest. Right. To that, <laughs> right, to that obvious honest, attempt at manipulation. Or you can manipulation. just be honest and be like, oh, <laughs> Okay, uh, I was hoping that I could see nah, you for Christmas. But he was acting nonchalant, like, you know, go see your boo. And you know what she said? Well, you have a fantastic break. <laughs> and and you know what? And again, he let She's his uh, superficial emotions. No, nah, nah, I, I, I think you're wrong with that. I think you're wrong with that. Because she I, ended I think up leaving him Look, and dumping him. You got to realize, Zola, she already had a dude. 
he was playing he was playing second fiddle to the guy who was a doctor who he could not compete with you know the only right. thing that he had in his, in his favor was time and space time that he could spend with Zola on right. a day-to-day basis at the cafeteria or at the grill or like him maxing out his credit cards to to buy her things or whatnot and then space because they was in the same on the same college campus together but that guy who was a who was a, a doctor he had everything going for himself he can provide her with money he can provide her with things that she could not get from him you know that's um, called insecurities in him. Nah, that's called reality, dog. No, there's also insecurities. I, I bet. Exactly. Yes. So, bro, how, how does he I bet she wasn't to, punching um, a doctor in the question, face. Like, she was punching oh, him in the face. I bet she wasn't say, punching right, that doctor I might in have an opportunity to go and uh, nope. well, spend Christmas with, uh, I forget the guy's name James. right now. James. She said James want me to spend Christmas with him. Right. So, so his response should have, I mean, his response could have been like, damn, you know what? I'm, I actually like this girl, but she's constantly bringing this guy's name up in my situation so you know what hell go and be with him no but that ain't what he really felt that's not what he felt but that's what he could have felt though your question was how should he respond you know how you you respond you just be honest be like look i wanted to spend christmas with you that's the reality but if you want to spend christmas with him she don't want to be saved don't save her <laughs> you always gotta you always gotta keep it real. Look, I, I look, I wanted to spend Christmas with you, but if you're gonna spend Christmas with him, then fine. But you always gotta put it out there what your intentions was. He act like it was nonchalant. She not peeping it real. Who lost? She not keeping it real. That's a classic that's a classic like Steve. manipulative Steve, manipulative thing, right? She could have been like, Hey, uh, what are your Christmas plans? I wanna spend Christmas with you. <laughs> Right. So, so what? You got the hope that what? she's going. He said, if he speaks his truth, she's going to change her mind. Yeah, but she should already know his thoughts, and and she should already have an idea. Like you know, I've been spending the last six months with you. Hey, in school. man, you can't expect people to know. She asked you, and you, and she asked you what you thought. She put it out there, and you tell her what you think. Now, and but so you can't treat her as if she knew. If if if, it, if the time came up and you wasn't being honest with her. So, right. what she wanted to hear? I know what she wanted to hear. Dog, women want to feel <laughs> wanted. She's still going with yes. James. James is the option, regardless. <laughs> they want, they want to feel wanted. <laughs> so that's why. That's what do you think she wanted to hear? Do you think she was wanted to hear? Always hit you with Save games. For the they want to feel wanted. Uh, <laughs> and she still was going to go with James, I, though. She still was gonna go again. Uh, like, so sweet, kids. Uh, I kids disagree with the whole framing of this conversation. I just want that on the record. No, I I'm being honest. Women want to feel oh, wanted. So sweet, kids. You so sweet, especially needy women. Obviously, she was needy and she was trouble because it's like Steve business. said, she was punching him. Dog, you know what's crazy. You know yeah. what? And, and and at the same You're time, so sweet, it's homeboy Ray Gunn. So sweet. Um, you remember I was talking about Keith was walking around with a mask on. I'm gonna miss as you. If nobody knew who he was, I'm gonna be thinking his about you. His friends knew exactly who he was because when Thank he was pouring out his heart to his friend about the fantastic comment, and he was he at he stole the pizza from the trash can, his friend was talking to him. And you know what, uh, Steve, that kind of reminded me of me and your relationship when you won't let me get in my own way. 
you would step in. And his friend was talking to him. As he was talking to him, consoling him, he was throwing his pizza away. And he was like, yeah, she said that, yeah. <laughs> At the same time, just putting his pizza right back in the trash can. Like, dude, are you depressed? Now, that was one of the saddest stories. That was one of the saddest stories of this whole book when he was like, man, I was so upset that I just started looking for pizza in the trash can. I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. Damn. Like, that's. No, that, not only that's was that sad, deep, that was super honest to share with the world. Yeah. That was super honest. Yeah, but it's, it just shows how sad he was and like how hurt. So, like, you know, his whole life, he's carrying around all this stuff where he's just a minute from from doing something that is like, you know, complete breakdown destructive behavior like you know not only is that probably bad for your body right but like if you're in college and you're seen like if if his friend didn't see him and someone else sees him like that's like you know you're in college you care what people think about you normally uh you know like be like oh lenny that's the dude that eats pizza out the trash like you done hey but also was he that what what (laughs) <laughs> hey, but 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 was he that broke to the fact that he had to eat pizza out of the trash right. can, or was he just doing it just to do right. it? Right, just to like think? just to hurt himself. He ain't thinking about Pretty hurting cool. himself. He just thinking about I'm about to he he dumpster diving. His mind, I'm about to find me. He was he, proud. He, he got a whole piece. No, hey, but listen. Yeah, he was. Hey, pause this yeah. though. Yeah. Pause, pause it on that. How many times have we been hungry in college? Right, and. Did our mind ever go to getting shit out of the out of the dumpster, or did our mind go? I want to get, I want something to eat. Do I have something to eat in my cupboard? Do I need to ask a friend for something to eat? No, I know. Do I need to get some money for something to eat? I never want to get a dumpster. Right, like his mind was already there. His mind was already in the dump. But he was was at a white school, though. He know where he know where it's at. He. He had a white school. He had a white school. Another disadvantage of going to (laughs) a a white school. (laughs) Think about it. It's pizza parties every day at white schools, dog. You you don't. Yeah, okay. He ain't invited. (laughs) And he ain't fucking invited. He got that weight till it's over with and he eating the leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) He ain't invited. What you were saying, Walt? Hey, but look, Lenny, look, I was saying, think about it, man. Like, it goes back to a conversation you and I had a long time ago, man. It's it's a rap verse. Um, he had he may maybe he didn't have no like real true friends that he can reach out to to get some food from. Like who was my friends? Who was my foes? Who do I call when I need a crutch? You know, how do I get myself from A to B when B is just too far? B was just too far situation for him. Yeah. Like, damn, right? Got no money. Please don't mess up my <laughs> rap song. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't got no money. Thank you for listening. Please remember to click the subscribe button. Leave a five-star rating followed by a glowing comment. Hope you enjoyed.